what we agree upon, where does that land in your brain? And what are the parts of your thoughts and behaviors that are going to get in the way? That's the work of the nutritionist. Hello, welcome to The Seasoned RD, a podcast connecting newer professionals in the field of eating disorders to those of us who have been around for a while. I'm your host, Beth Harrell, a certified eating disorders registered dietitian and supervisor. And I'm Abby Brown, a registered dietitian who is newer to the field. I think of myself as a well-seasoned cast iron skillet with wisdom and experience, yet always ready for something new. And I think of myself as an Instapot with innovation and a fresh perspective. This podcast brings both to the table to share ingredients, recipes, and techniques of past and present so we can all be our best for the future. The kettle is heating up. A skillet is on simmer. So join us around the table for true professional nourishment. Abby, ready to stir the pot? Let's do it. Welcome to this episode of The Seasoned RD with Sondra Kronberg, who is truly a pioneer of the registered dietitian nutritionist in the field of eating disorders. And she shares about, you know, dietitians were considered the cause of eating disorders. And I'll say that in quotes and, and how she learned right then she shifted teams and people get better when therapy and nutrition are paired. And that was kind of the beginning of collaboration. And truly we do have our scope of practice, but she reminds us that food is so much more than its nutritional value. And people were getting better in different ways when we paired nutrition and therapy together. Kind of the old adage is that, well, anybody can give someone a meal plan. And and that may be true. So eating disorder dietitians are well beyond that. We're even more than nutrition therapists. We also have a medical nutrition therapy knowledge, but we have to understand so much more. And Sandra will give you a little bit of her nuggets along the way of flexible, balanced, and spontaneous talking about social media and comparing oneself on social media becomes yet another scale to measure someone's instead of standing on a scale that measures pounds, that it's another scale to measure self-worth is, is all these comparisons on social media. And one thing that I really love is no matter how much time someone's in the field and Sandra is just states very clearly, I'm learning, I'm still learning and the learning curve is enormous. If you haven't heard Sandra speak, you're going to be entertained. And she has so much power in this episode and sharing the things that she has learned, including orthorexia and kind of considering nutrition as being almost a new religion and a way to connect. So please enjoy this interview with uh, Sandra Kronberg. Hello, we are here today with Sandra Kronberg. And before we actually started talking, she was like, well, what is the podcast about? Is it about old RDs? (laughs) And Sandra is one of the pioneers in our field for dietitians who practice in the field of eating disorders. And so we had to have her on, not just because of her years in the field and her expertise, but because of her energy and what she has to teach us. So Abby has a couple questions, just kind of get us started, and then we'll get into some of the, how your background, Sandra. Great. All right. Well, first of all, Welcome. We're so excited to have you. This is great. Our fun icebreakers. First one, mountains or beach? All, I mean, I've done a lot of metaphors on mountains. And so anybody who knows me knows 
there she goes with her mountains again, up the mountain, down the mountain. You know, the reward of going up the mountain is always coming down the mountain. But then there's another mountain. So you ask the right question. <laughs> well, I love that. We might have to have you explain that analogy a little bit more. That's yeah, great. I have a healing mountain, an eating disorder mountain, a fashion mountain. I got them all. <laughs> I love the fashion mountain. That, that one's great. <laughs> My second one for you, breakfast or dinner? Definitely dinner. It depends on what, what, what you want to know about breakfast or dinner. I mean, I like them all. They How all you interpret have their it. little special uh, flavors and stuff. But dinner is more tranquil, you know, it has more atmosphere and, and totality to it. Breakfast is kind of usually like, I got to get this done and I, and I got to get going. I got to get my things in and I got to go. Mm, that makes good sense for sure. It's, it, it, it's, it's more of a utilitarian thing. Got to have it. And then, but dinner, you can actually, you know, it, it's interesting. Cause I was thinking about coming on here and I thought it does speak even in just asking that question, how food is so much more than just its nutritional value. Mm. And I think that's what we ultimately learn in eating disorders that the food has emotional, behavioral, and physiological, and even spiritual context. And so the what you eat, the decision to eat, your desires, your appetite is so much more complex than, oh, this is what I'm supposed to have. Yeah, I love it. And then the last question, audio book or paper book? I have stacks of paper books. So I definitely collect, I just got another three in the mail. But I'm finding now that it's much better for me to listen to something than actually have the time to sit down and read it. Although, although I did make a, a, a mental note with myself that I want to spend more time reading as mm-hmm. I get older and older. <laughs> as you guys know, I'm old. So getting older and older, <laughs> I will be reading more. I promise. <laughs> You it are, feels so good. It feels so good to do. But geez, is it hard to find time for it? Yeah, yeah. No, I want to, and it's just like everything else that we look at in behavior change. It's nice to have the thought, and then how do we put that thought into action, and how do we practice it? And so I haven't gotten there yet. So I have stacks and stacks. So I'm looking around. There's like stacks all over. <laughs> yeah. Well, I want to take you back, if it's not too traumatic, to to ask this question back to your exam day for your registered dietitian. And what do you remember about your exam day? Was it a number two pencil or keyboard? <laughs> number two pencil. <laughs> great, great. I was in school when they started with calculators. <laughs> I was like, I had a slide ruler. And I was like, what is this calculator going to do? This is, I, I actually was a math major at the time. And I thought, I can't trust a calculator. I have to trust my brain. And so that was a whole experience. You asked a good question. I <laughs> did not know you were a math major first. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. I was a math major and I was in my first school. I had two and three or four math classes and I would go home at night and work on math problems because if you're a math major, you had to bring the problems done to the to the class the next day. And everybody else was out having a good time. And I'm like, this is crap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so that's how I got into nutrition, actually. At the time, I was working as a dietary aide in a hospital as a part-time job when I was going through high school. 
which was a total fluke that I got that job. I think I've told you that story. The girl on the bus sitting next to me was going for a job as a dietary aide in the hospital. We were, we were both, we were both 15. We were not of age to get jobs. And the next day she came on the bus and she said, I said, how is the job? Did you get the job? And she goes, no, my mother won't let me take it. I ran off the bus, got <laughs> on my bicycle, went over to the hospital and applied for the job. And I was, that was my beginning of being a dietary aide, seeing the whole nutrition program in the hospital. Oh I was God. there for my entire high school, right? Yeah. Went to school thinking I was going to be a math major. And the other part of me was thinking, this is kind of crazy. These people in the hospital are so sick. They need the best food to nurture them so they can heal and grow. Mm -hmm. And they had these food companies in the, in the dietary department that were trying to save money and they were getting the worst food mm. and they, they were taking food off of people's trays that they didn't, if they didn't eat the milk, they were giving it back to the next person. Oh. I was insane about it. And then when my math system went, I'm like, you know, maybe I should do this uh, dietary thing with Duff, you know, my, my mentor there. Okay. And that was how that started. That was wow. my intro. So the, the universe presented me with an opportunity, which is something I tell everybody, God, keep your eyes and ears open because what you're, what you think you want to do and what the world has waiting for you, you have to be ready for. I love that. Okay. Well, well, thank God for that girl on the bus, huh? <laughs> yeah, right? I remember her name, Valerie, and I'm not remembering a lot of things these days. <laughs> wow, that is, I, you haven't told me that story before. And so I was really glad to hear that because this is really all about how you got into the field and how you learn what you learned, because I'm guessing you didn't learn much. So how did you get into eating disorders? So, so therein lies the problem. So I go to nutrition school. I have this background of thinking the sickest people need the most help and we can really help them. And I came out really disappointed in the American Dietetics Association. I just felt like I, I came out thinking I was going to help people lose weight. That's what I came out thinking. Mm -hmm. And I did, in fact, and I was very entrepreneurial. So I set up a whole program with a physical therapist and eating and menus. Oh, first I was hired to, to make the eating program for herbal diet pills. And oh. so I have a white lab. I, I didn't even remember I have to have a white lab coat and I'm like all medical and I'm going to be, you know, teaching people who are taking these diet, herbal diet pills, how to diet. That was very disappointing. Mm -hmm. And you know, gradually, I kind of was moving out of both my own culture in my family, where weight and diet and eating, you know, a certain way was all part of the culture, you know, weight, while everything was part of the culture, and I didn't know any different. This is what I grew up in. Then I got into the profession where weight and diet and part of the role of the dietitian was to help people lose weight. That was a major part of the role as, as you went through school. What ended up happening as I started this, and there were other little stories, but we don't have time for these other stories. But, but as I got, as I opened up this practice and people started to come to see me, I was like, what is going on here? Like, what is, here are these people. Now at that point, nutritionists were not like a big deal. This was a long time ago. So those people, who, what I found was those people who were actually seeking out a nutritionist 
35 years ago or more, let's just say, they already had this proclivity towards an eating disorder. It wasn't labeled. They didn't know it. Nobody knew it. And they would come to me almost as an ally for the eating disorder. And so I would spew out all this weight loss information and there would be a huge gap between what I was telling them and what they were able to, to do. I'm like, oh, here's the plan. See what you could, you know, like, let's do this together and, you know, eat this and eat that and eat this. And as much as they wanted to up here, because we know our clients say, this is what I like, you know, in, especially in terms of weight loss, they couldn't com- comply. And so that was the beginning of my disillusionment. And I really went to the American Dietetics Association seeking knowledge and information. Like, what is this? Like, I had a girl, I'm remembering now, I had a girl tell me she was eating food in the, in the attic. And, you know, you know, I had no idea what it was. I did it, you know, I'm sitting and listening to this and I'm like, I didn't learn anything about this. And so I thought there's a big problem here. There's people wanting to do something in their heart, needing things. There's a big, big gap here. How am I going to get this? So I actually divorced myself from the American Dietetics Association. I was like, I'm no longer a dietitian. Do not call me a diet. In fact, when you call me a dietitian, I get like a pang because they're not providing anything for me. And what I did do was seek out therapists who knew something about eating disorders. And this is how my career, this is, you asked me. So, and, and I went to these conferences for therapists and they would be like, and they were also just learning about eating disorders. We talk about what the theory for eating disorders was 35, 40 years ago. It was a very different theory than the theory now, right? There was a lot about, you know, your relationship with your mother and what you didn't get and all that. So I'm in a room full of 700 therapists and I have different questions than they do. You know, I have questions about food and feeding one's body, not just about what you're thinking. So what ended up happening was I would stand up and say, I'm a nutritionist and I have slightly different perspective, but I'm really interested in this. And so that was sort of astonishing to the therapist. They were like, well, we don't, we don't send our patients to nutritionists because they're probably part of the cause of this. And so right then I shifted teams. <laughs> I shifted from being part of the cause who was dieting people, although I didn't really, I didn't really see it that at that moment in time, to wanting to find the solution for helping these people. Even though I wasn't yet divorcing myself from dieting, I just wanted to have a better way to help them. And that was when I met Judy Rabinor and I said to her, I need to come into your supervision group. And she said, that's insane. You can't, my group is all therapists. And I said, but I have to. And she was like, I don't know how they feel about that. And so for two years, I knocked on that door and I said, I need to come in. I need, and eventually she let me in. And I think that was the beginning. There were some well-known people in that supervision group. And I think without Probably there were other areas where this might have been happening. That was the beginning of collaboration for the treatment of eating disorders, because what ended up happening in there was the patients that I was seeing with the therapists that were in there were getting better in a different way than those that were just talking about the psychological underpinnings of this. And, and so that was a big seed. And, and, and that's where I've been growing from ever since that I was in that supervision group for eight years. It met every other week. I didn't miss a beat. 
I remember writing an article for um, one of the nutrition magazines about supervision. And Karen Katrina goes to me, that sounds a little compulsive. I'm like, yeah, it was. I, I did, I said, I, and I didn't miss a session. And I said, yeah, it was, because that was my only source of learning, of support, of creativity. Oh, my gosh. The patients are getting better in a different way because of you being there and because of that collaboration. I love that statement. And then you mentioned Karen Cretina and she is someone, I have her book moving away from diets and I don't remember how old it is, but it's I have- as me. <laughs> <laughs> this word old is embrace it. Everybody it's flying around seasoned. Well, I said old. And then I sent Irene, my, my assistant, your little icon. And she goes, that's so smart. What a more positive way to say. <laughs> yeah, seasoned RD with the ED capitalized for eating disorder. And it is we are different levels of seasoning because Abby has her own seasoning from what she's learned in her own life experiences. And we have seasoning of the years and experience. So I love that you literally like shifted teams. Wow. You're like the beginning. You were the first, you're like the first. Well, I can say there was a handful of people that, you know, some of them are still very engaged and some of them are not anymore, but it was Karen who, you know, we did a lot of work together. Monica Wolsey. uh, I I think Tammy Beasley was part of this. And maybe there was one other person that I'm not, I apologize that I'm not mentioning. That was it. And that was across the country. So when I look out now, I mean, you know, I have seven nutritionists working for me now, and I have seven interns that are working on the chats and the, the, the information is so, I mean, if you look, I mean, I'm not a social media person, but if you look on social media, you see millions of, of, of nutritionists who are active in, in this and growing And I can look back and say, oh, you know, I was the first to speak at this conference and they they were in my rooms and, you know, and then they've gone on to be big deals. So that's cool. Mm -hmm. You're the pioneer. You were the pioneer. You you know, you know, they, they used to, Abby, they used to call me the mother and now they call me the grandmother. I think soon they're going to call me the great grandmother. Um, But, you know, it's really become diluted because. There's so many nutritionists now that are doing this that not everybody knows that tail, you know, that that train, that tail. I mean, my patients, I'll say like that, where does that tail go back to? We don't always know, right? In fact, you know, I I was one of the founders of the National Eating Disorders Association. And and now the people that are there don't even know who the founders were. (laughs) Well, now now everybody will know. We're gonna put this episode out and everything. There you go. There you go. (laughs) Because this is really for newer professionals, but also professionals who have been around for a while and the both, everyone comes to the table here. And that's why Abby and I paired with one another is to, to bring in all, all pieces. And she didn't know that. And now she does. And hopefully many more people will. So Sandra, you casually mentioned the word chats. You said, I have interns and I have, and so you have programs. Tell us everything that you're, well, that could take years, but tell us what you're involved in right now and where your passions are. I mean, right. I mean, this is a result of COVID, although I think it may have a life of its own. 
I used to run support groups for the what, what was used to be my organization, the Eating Disorder Council of Long Island, which became the first chapter of NIDA, which was the, the National Eating Disorder Association of Long Island. We, I used to personally run support groups at the different hospitals. And so I had a really good sense of the difference between a support group and a therapy group. And when COVID happened and everybody went into lockdown and isolation, certainly those are two very powerful things that affect people struggling with eating disorders, affected all of us, but particularly people with eating disorders, the element of uncertainty, which is, you know, quite traumatic in in this field and the element of isolation, both of those things, a a disconnect and also the disconnection from teams and, you know, you, you, you had your biggest fears and you lost your support. So that was what was going on. So I said to my friend, Carolyn, I'm like, you know, there's a lot of information coming out about how to help the therapist, how to, how to do treatment. There's nothing coming out for the patients. And she goes, you should do it. And so, so it's been over a year in the living room, which has always been an idea of mine. I always wanted to have when I ran the, the eating disorder council, I had a room full of books and resources and people could come sit on the couch and do whatever they needed to do there. So theoretically, this was the perfect opportunity to have a chat in the living room. And so I connected with most of my colleagues, people who I've known over the years, uh, a lot of the pioneers in the field, a lot of people that are well known. And I just put out an email and I said, hey, would any of you like to do support groups with me to help the people that are struggling through this? And we were all struggling. We were all going through the same thing, which is a unique phenomenon, right? It's unique that the the helpers and the sufferers are going through the same thing at the same time and everybody knows it. Usually it's like, I'm here to help you. So it was amazing to me. All of my colleagues from my, you know, my different tribes, jumped on and said, I'll do it, I'll do it, I'll do it, I'll do it. So what started in last March, which I thought would go on for a couple of months, has had this ongoing trajectory, COVID into COVID. Now we're talking about out. So transition and change is very difficult for people with eating disorders. So it was the change into COVID that we needed to help people with. It was all the trauma of this year, election, Black Lives Matter, you know, all of the political things that have been going on that make people feel so un, un, you know, uncertain and, and unsupported and maligned. It has just become this ongoing support group and it's still going. And I'm booked until August with, with now professionals and experts calling me and going, can we come on your chat? Mm, um, I love it, it. It has a following of about 100 people that are there every week. And then based on the, the expert that comes on and they're following, it could be from that 100 to 400 people every week on this chat. Around the and world. Around the world. Mm-hmm. And it's quite cool because- It is like so many of the many of professionals or young interns are on because these are the these are the experts, you know, (laughs) Laura Hill, Carolyn Costin, Margot Main, Craig Johnson, the father of eating. He was the father of eating disorders when I got into this. Dr. Bulick and her genetics. We could go on and on. I'm I'm actually getting Carolyn to to be a co-host. And she goes, well, who am I going to interview? You interviewed everybody. (laughs) So true. You have got Carol. I was like, (laughs) so so that's that's been something that has blossomed and taken up a a huge amount of time and energy, but has 
you know, in COVID, because we can do everything virtually, I have interns working with me from around the country, Mm -hmm. you know, which is something I couldn't do when I was in, in the office. In addition, my staff has been really cool. They've been putting out a weekly newsletter. So last week's newsletter was saying yes and saying no. This week's Mm -hmm. newsletter is going to be out freedom and it has poems and yoga and videos and activities. And it's been, these have both been enormous resources for Mm -hmm. people struggling as a result of COVID, but also a connectedness. There's been a connectedness, both for for the people that are struggling and for me. I was in isolation and every week I got to talk to one of my good friends or somebody that's a colleague of mine that I won't see because we're not going to the IADAPT conference and we're not going to the Renfrew conference mm-hmm. where I see all these friends of mine and have grown with them over the years. Mm. And Absolutely. so for those listening, because I want to really highlight this morning side chat because it's incredible. So for those listening, if they know of somebody with an eating disorder, maybe somebody in recovery of an eating disorder, would it be appropriate for that individual to just hop on your chat? Could that be like another form of therapy for them? Yeah, it's not therapy, but it's definitely a form of support, right? Okay. And they can get on by going to, and, and not only that, the old chats, we, the, my interns made a website, like I know nothing. So the, the trauma of all this was I knew nothing about technology and really had to be handheld through the whole process. I can do the talking, as you can see, I can talk, but I didn't know anything about Zoom, about social. I'm not even on Facebook. I don't even know. So, so they made a website, all many of the old chats. Now there've been like over 50 are on, you can go and click on them. The old newsletters, you can go and click on them. So if you're having a bad Saturday or if you're having a bad Wednesday, you go on this. This is a resource and there's resources and handouts and takeaways, like little, what do you call them? Icon takeaways from each of the chats. Mm -hmm. So you were remembering like what Laura Hill said, you know, use your traits positively. You can't get rid of your traits, but but we have that icon. And you can go on the website during the week, listen to an old chat, get an old newsletter, see it, see a takeaway. We've also got people sending in their artwork. Oh, it so is so cool. We've got reels of artwork. We, it's just become a really cool space. And for those people that are on every week and know about it, when people find out about it, they're like, oh, I'm in. But it's hard to, you know, get the word around. I don't know. But and well, it's free. And Beth and I were talking a little bit earlier about how eating disorder treatment facilities and therapists and counselors are also booked up. Like there's a wait list for so many eating disorder individuals. So yes, your the morning side, the living room chats, those can be used for so many things, but I'm kind of thinking what a great way for while they're waiting to get into treatment. Can we get a little taste of this? You know, is this going to help a little bit along the way? Cause you have all of those resources. So again, yes, a great resource on the Absolutely, It is. Sure. And that is the case. Right. And, and, and also people have called us and asked for, refer- I mean, we are, we do have, I do have a treatment center. So when they can call and ask for how do I, you know, I'm having trouble this, like I just got a call from Margo. She's looking for a nutritionist, you know, in the, you know, like we're a network, we're helping people find help and you, you don't, you know, you don't always get that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Great. Yeah. So I have another question for you. 
right now in social media, really hot kind of controversial topic is orthorexia. You know, people are debating, is it real? Is it fake? These are the facts, this and that. And so on your website, you talk about orthorexia briefly, but I would love for you to share that with everybody listening because it's very, it's hot right now. And so we need to learn about it. Yeah. So I think what we know about eating disorders is that the brain of somebody struggling with an eating disorder takes what's normally accepted in a free flowing, positive way and goes to an extreme. And so what we know, what people, when I do interviews about this, people go, go, how could the eating healthy be bad for you? So this is the, this is what I say about all eating disorders, the degree to which it infringes on the quality of your life, your ability to be flexible, balanced, and spontaneous. That's the degree that one is struggling and the amount of torment and vitality that it takes out of your life. So if we apply that to orthorexia, if you go to the restaurant and you can't eat the salmon because it didn't come from Alaska and it didn't fly up the stream uh, in a natural way, you're tormented. That infringes on you being spontaneous, balanced, and whole. And that is what happens with our clients. They come up with rules and regulations that short circuit the quality of their life and their ability to thrive. What ultimately happens is that the obsessionality about it, the rigid, so these are the qualities of the traits that one might find in anorexia, the obsessionality, the perfectionism, the the doing 150%. When we apply that to eating healthy, it goes awry. So this, the trait can take you to here and then it, and it might be positive to, you know, want to eat foods that are whole and healthy. That's nice. Okay. But then, you know, to what degree does it, does it infringe on the quality? And then to what degree does it create malnutrition? And that's really what orthorexia is. And in a clinical way, I have rarely, rarely seen orthorexia that doesn't sit on top of anorexia or some other form of eating disorder. So it becomes, you know, a legitimate way to validate and, and weight loss is rarely not in there. So it's hard to tease out. Occasionally, I think once I saw somebody who is more in the OCD, you know, it it was uh, an extension of their OCD, that everything had to be clean and pure, because that's basically what orthorexia is saying. I get personal validation, besides the fact that I want to eat healthy, but there's a badge that I wear in this culture, especially that says I eat clean and pure and I eat cleaner and pure than you. I was once coming home from a conference and two girls were sitting in front of me and I was listening to the conversation. And one girl's like, well, I don't eat any of this. And I don't, you know, it, it was sort of this validating badge, which would fit in the realm of orthorexia. Like I don't eat this. I only eat this, this It's only, if it comes from here, if it's cooked at five o'clock, if it's kept at this temperature, if it's traveled from the farm, whatever rule you put in place, the degree to which it infringes on your aliveness that becomes a problem. So the other girl said, to, well, what do you eat? I was like, go, girl. <laughs> you know, and of course I was listening and I'm like, okay, don't say anything. Don't say anything. But yeah, I think what I found is that many of these eating disorders have become the new religion for people. Mm. So the, so particularly with, with orthorexia, 
it becomes this holiness. It becomes instead of, you know, reading the Bible, I'm, I'm, I'm validated by how little I ate, how clean I ate, how pure I ate, how much exercise I did, all of that going under the guise of orthorexia. But again, I would say I don't see much of that, just that. It's usually connected to some desire for thinness and some obsessionality about being that thinness. So do you think it's orthorexia is so controversial because so many consumers kind of have these underlying traits of orthorexia and they don't necessarily think that it's a condition or something? Or what do you think is the controversial because it's hard to connect eating whole and eating well with a disorder, right? If we look at the cultural environment, when people, you know, that's the first question they ask, how can you say that this is a disorder when it's all about doing, taking care of yourself? And because there is a whole contingency of community and culture that validates that. And the problem is not that. The problem is the degree to which it infringes on the quality of your life and creates torment. So many people can do that. You get to choose what you eat, how you live, how you, what you do and you don't do, whether you like flowers or you don't like flowers. You get to choose that. That's not the problem. That's, that's, that's choice and preference. The problem is being positioned and that position interfering with your relationships, your health, your aliveness, your spontaneity, your balance. Because those, losing those things in your life creates misery. And if you talk to most people with an eating disorder, they're not happy. They're not happy that, you know, they're X weight or X weight plus, whatever whatever it is, it becomes a source of self-loathing. And it is the same about orthorexia. There is such a contingency to be so rigid. It, they don't get along. It, it's hard to get along with other people. It's hard to be social. There's there, you know, there's no, you know, there's a, there's a book, there's no bending in the storm, they break, you know, and because that goes along with all the other genetic predispositions, there's a lot of anxiety involved in that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of depression involved in that in the, they are not happy, but they're good. They're holy. They have value because their value of the culture has given them that status. Wow, I'm so impressed that you eat like that. I could never do that. It gives them power. Just in the same way that we would look at somebody with, with an eating disorder, with anorexia, who also feels powerful at a certain weight, perceptively. You just explained that so incredibly. Like, am I, I'm going to have so many thoughts right now, specifically relating to social media, because that is the big majority of it is look at what I'm doing. I'm good because I'm doing this. And it, it can be so paralyzing. Paralyzing. And I'll tell you something else that will make it even more paralyzed. The predisposition, the brain of somebody with an eating disorder is more likely to have a comparative component than somebody else. So they're more vulnerable to that, right? On, on the genetic curve, on the, on the probability curve, if you're more, if your probability of comparing, let's say that's a genetic trait is high, then you are more prone to being vulnerable to those pictures. You know, when I see pictures of the people, I don't really care, you know, but when your client sees not only pictures of other people, but pictures of themselves at an earlier stage in their life, there is constant and chronic comparing. 
So social media, if you will, becomes, let's globalize, becomes another scale. It becomes another way of weighing my self-esteem and my worth. And not only is it a visual thing, how many likes did you get? How many people ignored you? All of that is a way of measuring self-worth and validating or not validating how I feel about myself. Now I'm vulnerable in that position that I'm, I'm kind of in trouble in social media, which mm-hmm. is why often we have to talk to our clients about, you know, limiting time or putting it down. You know, if, if it becomes some, if you do anything in, in, organically that makes you feel bad about yourself, which you might weighing, talking, going out with certain people doing, certain, we have to figure out how we get a different outcome. The automatic might have you do that, part of the work and treatment is recognizing that that makes me feel bad about myself. And I'm comfortable in that place because I've been doing that all my life, feeling bad about myself, but it's not going to help me get better. So I've got to move over, make new, that's why new, different, opposite, hard, scary, and uncomfortable is such a position in, in dialogue. I mean, I could repeat that black, my clients can repeat that backwards, forwards, and inside out. What did you do today? That was new, different, opposite, hard, scary, and uncomfortable because I'm trying to help them move their mind to their side. It doesn't mean they're not going to have that thought. They just can't act on it. Right. And if you think about what I'm saying as a dietitian, what is she talking about? (laughs) Who is this person? What is she talking? I mean, this is all information. I learned about, you know, the fact that where, what we do with our food is very similar. And I've said this many times. So many of you probably heard this. If I was a musical composer, what I'm composing is music, but it comes from my brain. Like it's my brain that makes those decisions. If I, if I'm an artist painting a painting, it's my brain that chooses the colors and what I do with my food, weight, and body gets filtered through the way my brain thinks. And so it's really looking at my point as a nutritionist. If I don't know what your brain is thinking, I can't tell you to do anything. I have to know how what I tell you or what we agree upon, which would be more my language, I don't tell them anything, what we agree upon, where does that land in your brain? And what are the parts of your thoughts and behaviors that are going to get in the way? That's the work of the nutritionist. You know, Mm. it's like, what are you hearing me say? Where does that land in the history of your trauma and behavior and emotion, right? Will you just discard it because it doesn't fit? Will you think about it? Will you have a nervous breakdown because I said that? Will you leave me because I didn't say what you wanted me to say or I don't agree with you? Or will we be able to work on it out of a place of trust? I've created trust with you so that I can help you in that spot and help you get a different outcome. I can help you get a different thought or not follow that old thought. I can't, maybe I might not be able to get rid of that old thought. I might be able to say, oh, there comes that thought that I shouldn't eat breakfast. And okay, okay, here it comes. Now what? Now let's move to the new thought. So I have to help you use your brain to get where we want to go and also identify your strengths. Oh, you're a perfectionistic? Oh, you want to do better than the next? Let's use that in a way that works for you, not in a way that makes you feel bad about yourself. So that's the, so here, I haven't said, I'm here I am, the oldest nutritionist on the planet. And I haven't (laughs) said, and I haven't said much about food except how we manage it, what we think about it, how we use it, how our traits are used in the 
access to food. Also, you know, how do I get my food? Who prepares it for me? I mean, if you're talking about somebody who doesn't want to take care of themselves because they weren't well taken care of in their life, and that may be very important for the nutritionist to know, they're not cooking food for them. And when you say to them, when they're walking out the door, take good care of yourself, that sounds traumatizing to them because they want to be taken care of. If I don't know that, and if I don't know how to work with that, they're not eating. <laughs> they're not doing anything. Sandra. I am just thinking about you back in your white lab coat and that very medical job that you had. And I am blown away, right? Aren't you, Abby, with yeah. like all of her? It, 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 she jokes along with, I think, Carolyn Costin about Carolyn says Sandra's acting like the therapist. And Sandra, is that right? What is that? Yeah, yeah. No, I just spoke to her the other night and I said to her, you know, there's this person who's a therapist who's acting like a nutritionist. She goes, you mean like me? Isn't that what you and I say? She's the therapist that acts like a nutritionist and I'm the nutritionist that acts like a therapist. Yeah. And I, yeah. And I don't actually think it's like that. I think that, you know, I always say to the clients when they come in, there's going to be three, at least three circles working here. You know, we're going to work on the, the emotions, the behaviors and the physical. Right. So I'm going to help you with the physical and the behaviors and your therapist is going to help you with the emotional and the behaviors. And you're going to be the expert on you. And we're all going to come together to figure out what's actually go what's behind all of this. Mm -hmm. How does it actually what's the purpose? Because I always say this is a creative adaptation for yourself. You needed this, but we don't need it anymore. Like we want to get at it. Now it's drowning you. So what is the purpose of this? How do we work as a team to change the thoughts and behaviors so that you get a different outcome? I give them a lot of credit for being the expert on them. And I don't think I have the answers. I think, okay, I know something about this. Carolyn knows something, but if it's her and I working, Carolyn knows something about this, but you know more than us. Let's all get in there and figure this out. And we will hold you, which is something that often feels very new and different for clients with eating disorders, because another one of the, what we're learning is genetic predisposition. And, and this is not new news. We're seeing it because we now have equipment that shows us these genes. But my list of genetic predispositions, way before Laura Hill came on and said, these are the genetic predispositions that we're researching, was almost exactly the same. Why? Because I see it in the room. I see the need to do it on your own. I see the need to compare. I see the genetic predisposition to, you know, isolate. And I recognize that. And we want to help you move forward so that you can have a fuller life. You know, it doesn't necessarily, I see that some people can't listen to their hunger. I don't think that's a miss. I think there's a genetic predisposition, just like eyesight has a genetic a variable, right? Some people have really good eyes. Some people have really bad eyes. And most of the people are in between. Our clients tend to be on the periphery of that probability curve when it comes to traits. And if they are stacked, like uh, Cynthia Bulick says, there are those genetic traits that are preventative and there are those that may be damaging. So if they're stacked with traits that are more risky to develop an eating disorders, they're more likely to develop an eating disorder. We then have to stack the preventative traits and we have to really work to get around those vulnerabilities. Mm. And that glasses example you brought up in a different, I, it might've been on one of your morning side chats. Can you define that a little bit better? 
Well, it, 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 I think I, Laura really talked about the exam. I talk about colorblindness a lot, which okay. is, you know, if, if you see something that's a different color, you're, you're seeing what you see, right? Okay. That, that's exactly what you see. But I will say, just like body image blindness, I know you see that. And I know your brain sees that. And I know you feel that. I want to make that corrective experience, mm. just like somebody wearing glasses. So it's, it's the same thing. You, know, right. you, you can't take, you know, if you've been wearing glasses all your life, you can't just take them off and eat, listen to your hunger. <laughs> Good point. You know what I mean? Like there needs to be a learning process and also the awareness as, as the field tilts from dieting to intuitive eating that we need to come back into the middle because I do believe, first of all, that there are so many variables that influence what we eat from trauma to appetite, to GI problems, to brain, to fear, all kinds of things. So some people are gonna really flow into that intuitive eating and some people are gonna get stuck. And we have to acknowledge the, mm -hmm. the, the individuation, not this one shoe doesn't fit for everybody, mm -hmm. right? And, and, and we can't go from like dieting fits for everybody to intuitive eating fits for mm -hmm. everybody. Mm -hmm. Some people need a little bit more structure. Some people need a little bit more guidance. Some people need a little bit more flexibility. We have to learn what the individual chemistry, behavior, history, all of those things impact what we're able to do, and here's an, a very, in this moment in time, because what we're able to do in the next week is going to be different than what we're able to do in this moment in time. And so really working with this is where you're at right now without shame, guilt, or job, but I should be, and I could be, and you get a lot of that in eating disorders, mm. this constant, either I've been judged for not being good enough, or I'm not where I want to be. And all that does, either one of those things, when you're not in where you are and accepting, so that's a lot of a basis of acceptance and commitment therapy, is you create loathing. Mm -hmm. I feel bad, right? Remorse or fear. And how do those things impact the simple thing of sitting down? Do you know people have trouble sitting down? Why? Because they feel like they're not burning calories. Did you know that? I didn't know that when I first said that when I first started working with eating disorders and my first client came in and sat on the edge of the chair, I was like, what are you doing? <laughs> like, so I'm so grateful for the years of clients that trusted me and stuck with me and taught me mm -hmm. that that's really the essence of it. I mean, the, the, the handout series that I produced by scribble and hand was all what they taught me and what I wanted to teach others. And, and it's called the learning teaching handout series because that was the process that I was in. This is amazing. I mean, I, I've highlighted so many things, Abby, that you and I will talk about when we get off just because we want to be able to title this episode correctly. But, oh, Sandra, we really appreciate you being here. Abby has a kind of a wrap-up question and then how to get a hold of you. So first of all, I think open invitation anytime you want to come back. We would love <laughs> to talk to you for hours and hours. So you can see uh, I'm not shy of talking. <laughs> <laughs> so our, our wrap up question, and I don't mean for this to come off as 
that there's something that you regret doing. Cause I think every step and what you have done to get to where you are has been so crucial and important, but taking yourself back to when you entered into this field of eating disorders, what do you wish you would have known then that you do know now? Well, I think I feel a little bit like I didn't serve the early clients. Well, like this girl who was telling me about the trauma that was going on and her, I didn't know. I didn't know. I didn't know enough. And I, I use that quote from Maya Angelou a lot, which is what we knew. I did what I could, what I knew then, and now I know better and I can do better, but I still don't know a lot, which is sort of what I want everybody to know is like, I have been training and teaching and training and reading and the books are stacked all over the place and I'm still training and teaching. And I've been doing this for 40 years. So like, that's an admin. Okay. And so the field is changing, like what we know about weighing, what we know about dieting, what we know about weight stigma, that didn't exist when I got in the field. And I'm humbled by the people that come in and correct me and say, you know, you said this and it was painful. And I'm like, thank you. Uh, That happened early on in the chats. And I have now become like a bosom buddy, best friend with the person who called me out on it because that was brave. And I'm still learning. So that's really my point, not about me being brave or anything like that. But, but, but I'm learning. And so much, there's one of the nutritionists that I hired was an, an intuitive eating counselor. She's um, a professor. And I hired a do eating disorders. And I thought, okay, she's really got a handle on this. And we met last week and she said, oh my God, the learning curve. You know, uh, the learning curve is enormous not only are there new eating disorders on the rise, like orthorexia, there are new cultural pressures on the rise. I mean, my today's my slide about eating disorders, which I don't know if you can have access to it, it it went from having like four little pieces to like having a million things that are influencing eating disorders. So I think learning and continuing to learn and keeping, you know, the, your, your, eyes and ears on what's happening and being flexible and balanced and not positioned. I, I want to be what I'm asking my clients to be, right? I want to be, I want to take in as much nourishment as I can. That's good nourishment. That's not just political stuff. And I want to be balanced and flexible and have choice around what I do with it. So living what I'm teaching, I guess. That's great. Thank you, Sandra. Before we let you go though, where can people find you? What's your website? All of that. Good question. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I think it's in the show notes. Yeah. And if, um, if I, I, well, you can that. always contact me through chats in the living room at www.chatsinthelivingroom or gmail.com. I think we have that. I think I now have a Sandra Kronberg Instagram, which they are helping me do. <laughs> You know, I have a treatment program called Eating Disorder Treatment Collaborative slash Feed. I'm sure if you Google that, I think you can Google anything these days, eating disorder treatment collaborative slash feed. We'll make sure to include that in the show notes. And then you, you made a reference to slide a slide. I don't know if we could have access. Yeah, I guess I could send that to you. And I don't know how they would, you know, you, well, I don't know what the vehicle is, but you could certainly, it's really, remember Beth in the, in the IDAP training, I had that like behavior, emotion, this, this one has COVID in it and intuitive uh, eating. And yes. it just, I'll send you all three so you can see, and I don't know if you can use it, but if you can, that would be great. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much. We have loved having you here today. 
Well, I, I, I love teaching and training and being a part of the movement and the progress. And it's good to spend time with you, Beth, always. Let's lean on each other and learn from each other so we can grow together as professionals in this field of eating disorders. If you want to connect with me for supervision or membership with monthly content, please find me at bethharrell.com professionals.